You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. John chapter 5, scripture says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic, which is called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these laid a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man who was healed, he took up his bed and walked. I want to speak to you just for a few moments about Jesus, the perfect man. Jesus, the perfect man. What's amazing about this story is that Jesus comes into a scene that I don't think we can comprehend because with modern medicine, modern technology, we think of uh, if you're sick, you go to the hospital. And in New Testament times, they did have doctors, they did have medicine, but it was far from modern. It was far from organized. And in this pool, there sat around this pool tons of people that are blind paralyzed, lame, deaf, that need healing. Tradition tells us that once a year, this is tradition now, an angel would come down and stir these waters, and the first person that would get in the waters would be healed. Now, that's tradition. I don't really know how accurate that is. All I do know is that apparently there was something to it enough where people would get there, and this man speaks about it factually. Jesus comes and sees a man that's been paralyzed for 38 years. How many people know that's a long time? 38 years. That's a lifetime. That's actually almost an entire lifetime, particularly in the context in which this is written. 38 years is an older man. Today, with life expectancy, we can uh, anticipate, unless something goes wrong, that we'll live into our late 80s, 90s. I actually heard a statistic recently that said, uh, our kids, my, my future kids, not, that wasn't another announcement, but we have, all right, uh, our, our future kids uh, have the potential to live well past 120 years old. With modern medicine, they're actually, the life expectancy rate is, and, and that's marvelous. They're continually adding on a life expectancy. And uh, someone's like, I don't want to live to 120. Well, you'll look a lot better at 120, all right, then than, than you do now, okay? Because um, things are improving all around. But at 38 years old, in this context, this is a, uh, a older man that's kind of lived his entire life. He's given a good bit of his life to this sickness. His identity is wrapped up in this. And Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be healed? Um, uh, now, what, what's, what's interesting about this is that the response is that Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And what is his response? I do not have anyone to put me in the pool. Well, that, wasn't a, that wasn't the question. Jesus didn't ask him, do you have anybody to put you in the pool? Jesus says, do you want to be healed? That's typically would be like a yes or no. You know, do, do you want a refill? Can I get you anything else? Did you do the dishes? Would you like to vacuum? All right, that's all right. any of those types of things. Unless 
you're uh, married to Ashley, Jesse's wife, who I guess includes in a very interesting way. She says, I'm going to let you do these things. Or we're, we're going to, how does she say it? We need to do this. But really, that means you're going to do this, and I'm going to hold you accountable, uh, which is interesting. Thank God. Man, I, I, I'm, whew, that's a lot. All right. Jesus is simply asked, do you want to be healed? And the person responds, I've got no man to put me in this pool. Now, what, now think about the logic behind that. Before this man is a man. Jesus is standing there, a man, that if that person was thinking in that terms, could have said, I need you to stick around uh, because this pool is going to stir at this time, <coughs> pardon me, and I need you to help me get in. Uh, because you're my solution. You're my answer. But what we see is that this man has given up hope so much to the point that his very answer is before him and he can't see it. But what does this look like practically? This is interesting. Um, the truth of is maybe some of us this morning actually do have physical sickness that we need God to heal. Maybe we do. Maybe uh, some of us have things that have been long-lasting and God desires to heal that. We believe that God heals. We've seen that take place here at City Lights. Um, and it's incredible. But maybe deeper than that, or at least parallel, I should say, is that this man is not just some random guy that lived in first century Israel. This man represents every single one of us here. Jesus then comes to you Think about it. Jesus comes into your situation for a moment and asks, do, do you want to be healed? Do you want your life to be, uh, I'm not talking about perfect, I'm talking about functional, working together. Do, do you want, God comes into your life and steps down as the perfect man and says that I have something to offer you that's far beyond just getting you in a pool or trying to beat out by your healing means beating somebody else out. I have what can restore you and make you perfect. Jesus looks at this man and says, get up, take your bed, and walk. Now, that is something that's so pivotal here. Now, if you are paralyzed, and if you hang around a pool, get up, take your bed, and walk. This is more than just a, a cushion. This is this man's very identity. This is that man's, his entire world, his possessions. I want you to see this because uh, we have a tendency in our world to latch onto and identify with our brokenness and our dysfunction. Uh, where have you ever met anybody that, uh, um, or maybe you're sitting beside somebody, look at it and say, not you, it's not you, it's the other person I'm sitting beside, that we actually attach to our dysfunction. That when you meet somebody, uh, we were sitting behind somebody, we went to a baseball game last night with Ben and Crystal, and as we're sitting there, these kids come in with these huge horns. Uh, and it's like Jimmy, Jimmy brings that thing to the softball game sometime, and it's, uh, they bring these horns in, and they don't sell them in the stadium, Right? So you know the parents brought them in. And the parents are frustrated, although they brought them in for the kids. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't working. Because you had to consciously, the kids didn't sneak them in. They're about three feet tall. They're as tall as them. The parents saw them walk them in. And they're sitting behind. They're like, every time someone's, and we're, you know, just our whole minds are like pulsating the entire time. 
And you could hear the moms, oh, I just wish they would stop. I'm thinking, I would just wish that you would have stopped them. You are the adult in this situation. You, you are the one that is grown. Amen. You, you are the one that is responsible. This is a three, four, and five-year-old that does not have the cognitive ability to know when to stop blowing a horn. Amen. All right? That's, that, that, that's time. But what's interesting about that is that as I'm sitting there and uh, we're kind of dialoguing between the four of us as good uh, passive-aggressive Americans like all of us, we're sitting there trying to figure out how can we politely tell them to stop without getting in a fight at a baseball game, right? So as we're sitting there, I'm realizing that this isn't just a one-time occurrence. This is a life cycle because you can hear instantly when she lets go, then the husband kicks in, and then the husband kicks And it was like a choir that sang back and forth. Known, though, almost comfortable in a cycle. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever meet somebody like that? The moment you talk to them, instantly it turns negative. It doesn't mean if it's positive. You tell them, congrats on this, and uh, or congratulations on this, and almost in the same breath that they're saying thank you, they're saying, well, let me tell you why it's not really that good. You know what I mean? Well, it's not, it's not that great. Somebody gets a promotion or a new car or something. Well, man, that's a great car. Well, it's not the one I wanted. Well, you just bought it. You did have a choice in that matter as well. It's almost as if we can attach into cycles of dysfunction to the point where our very world is absolutely um, wrapped in this thing where we can't define our lives outside of our own problems. Anytime, maybe I've seen this multiple times, over and over and over and over and over again, God starts to do something good in someone's life. They begin to find freedom, and yet they self-sabotage themselves. Have you ever met anyone like that? Things start to go good, and then it's just this, I, I don't deserve this. I'm not enough. Uh, I, I, I can't do this, so what am I going to do? I'm going to sabotage myself. I'll sabotage the new job. I'll, I'll, I'll do something because I'm not worthy. See, the question that Jesus asks this man, or the command that he gives him, is far more crucial than, hey, get up your sleeping bag, we're moving to the next stop. He's actually challenging this man's identity. And he's saying, I have the power to heal you, but you have to surrender your identity to me. I'll heal you. That's not a a problem, but I'm going after your identity. Get up off your bed and walk. Leave your comfortable position for 38 years and let me redefine the way that your life looks. I I mean, people switch careers. That's a big deal. You get a new house. That's a big deal. 38 years, Jesus comes to this man and says, take up your bed and walk. In other words, let me redefine your identity. Let me redefine it. Which bears the question, as I said, that this man is not just a random man in first century Israel, but this man is a picture of us because I believe God comes to us and asks us the same question, get off your bed and walk. In other words, what is our identity built on? What is our focus built on? What is our place of rest built on? What is our bed? What is our comfortable surroundings of where we say, this is where I want to build my 38 year plus life? And Jesus says this, do you want to be healed? Do I want to be healed? What goes on in this text shows us that Jesus is not interested in strictly making somebody feel better. That's not the purpose of healing, although that's a wonderful part of it. 
Healing goes far beyond just a temporary relief of pain or circumstance or situation. Have you ever been praying for something? God, would you just do this? Would you just heal this or change that or do this? Almost as if if we could just somehow funnel God into what it is. And in that moment, we're so wanting. How many people know God, God has the ability to do that? really does. God doesn't lack the ability to answer prayers. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to give you, I'm going to prep you this time. I'm going to give you the word to say in return, okay? I'm going to say the same thing and then you say amen back. This will be real good, okay? Ready? God does not lack the power to respond to prayers. Okay, that's all I needed. You can throw that word out anytime you want. It works, okay? It's a real good one. I'll, I'll say something, you say it back, it'll be, it'll be fun. God doesn't lack the power. God doesn't lack the power to look at your life in a particular circumstance or situation in our lives where we say, God, could you just change this? If you would, I'll do this. How many people know he doesn't lack that? Amen. Okay, I said it for Now, what is interesting about that is that God says something beyond that, though. Do you want to be healed? Uh, Now, that's a silly question in a lot of sense because uh, that is kind of like prophet of the obvious. Jesus walks into, that's kind of like walking into a hospital and asking, uh, do you want to be healed? Um, You would assume a person would like to be because they're at the hospital. Uh, Now, unless it's self-inflicted and somebody just wants to be there, which is a rarity, but people do that. Uh, Now, if a person's there, typically they're asking for help. So Jesus asks an obvious question, but then he asks the second one, the command. He goes for something deeper. And my question to you is this. What is your identity built on? What is your security built on? Is your security built on what? Is it built on the security of your future? Is it built on the, uh, the amount of money that you have in the bank? Is it built on the relationship that you have or do not have or wish you had or trying to figure out how you could trade one for somebody else or whatever that is? What is your identity built on? What is the thing in your life that feels like it has crippled you and has sat you down waiting for the perfect uh, healing to take place? God, if you could just do that. The reality is, all of us in some dimension or another have crutches, things of identity, beds that we sleep on. It's kind of where we get our rest. You know, if I have this, I feel good. Let me tell you what I'm not saying first. I'm not saying as Christians we're Stoics. We don't just believe in Jesus and then when somebody asks, how is life? I knew a guy, he doesn't attend our church. Um, this is from my childhood. Every time I'd see him, I'd say, how are you? He'd be like, blessed. How are you? Blessed. I'd be like, Okay. And uh, he said, he, one day he said, how are you? I said, well, I got a head cold. Oh, don't say that. I said, well, why not? He said, well, you're blessed. I said, I'm blessed with a head cold right now, apparently, because this thing's got to get over this thing, because right now I'm feeling pretty, pretty, pretty dang stuffed up, right? I said, how are you? Blessed. And it was almost as if, for him, the definition of a Christian was to not admit anything going wrong. And that is, if I showed weakness then at that point, I somehow was less Christian than before. Now, that's not what I'm saying. 
What I'm, not, what I'm not saying here is that Jesus wants to be your, uh, the perfection in your life and then everything will go right and that you'll never feel pain and that everything will work out. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, that each of us take up residence, lay down on something in our identity, and we don't know what that is until that thing presses us and we respond different than we would like to or different than we have the power to control. Have you ever had that happen? I know you have. I know I do. A situation happens and you respond in a way, you react in a way that in hindsight you look at and go, why did I do that? And it's a button. It's not buttons. If it's buttons, then you know, there may be more than one, but typically it's just something. You know, it's not everything. I mean, you can be uh, around a group of people, everything's fine, but it's that one button that when it's touched, something in you just goes, oh, and you, you don't, I'm not talking about you turn into the Hulk or something like that, which would be pretty wild if you did. You know, you explode into, you know, big green thing moving around and everyone's like, look, he's got an issue. He really has something he hasn't surrendered to Christ. Get that guy right now. Give him a Bible or something, you know? He's turned into the Hulk. That's not, that's not what this looks like. It, when, when a button's pressed, a lot of times we have such an amazing ability as, uh, as Americans uh, to be able to, because one of the things is because attorneys have the amazing ability to sue people, we have the ability to suppress things, right? So like, we're not going to swing at somebody most of the time. Because uh, we understand how to control our behaviors. But there's something about it that when that button is pressed, we just kind of lose it for a moment. What is it? Control, security, peace, hope, comfort. We lose it. And it doesn't matter how many times we feel like we got that thing under control. And it looks different for other people. Sooner or later, there's a variance, a a new circumstance that brings that thing to the surface. Does anyone know what I'm speaking of this morning? How can I get that thing? Let me suggest this. Perhaps that's not just something you need to work on. Maybe that's not just uh, something you need to go, you know what, I'm going to do better next time. Maybe that's something that's actually so fundamental to who you are that God actually needs to confront you on that and to heal you of it. Not just simply say, I'll do better next time. What we see here in this situation is that this man was so sick and broken, so sick, so broken, that he could not ignore the fact that he needed to be healed. He couldn't ignore it. The scary part is our lives and the way that we live uh, behind computer screens, very little face-to-face contact, very little depth of relationship, we have the ability to be able to corner that thing off to the point where somebody may not look and realize we're broken. So that I can actually assume that everybody in this room is all on the same page about whatever and we're all together. But the reality is this, is that although the world we live in uh, of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you know, people never Instagram, and thankfully they don't, but, uh, but you know, when you, you're on Instagram, people are always Instagramming them at the beach, selfie with a smile, right? With, with there, no, one's, no one's Instagramming themselves, terribly rough day, just lost my temper, screamed at my wife. <laughs> right? 
No one just said, uh, yelled at my kids, I shouldn't have, I acted more like a child than they did. Right? I yelled at their whatever. No, no one does that. Or just got really jealous of somebody's wherever they're at. No, no one does that. No, no one does that. I'm not, I'm not advocating you do that, although I think it would be an interesting social experiment. But no, nobody, nobody tries to uh, show those things. And I, and I understand tact and all that. I'm not asking you to, to go online with huge rants about how terrible your life is. What I'm saying is this. Perhaps, though, in our society, we have an ability to hide behind, to insulate, to close our dysfunction to the point where we can actually convince ourselves, listen, that when Jesus comes to us and says, do you want to be healed? We can go, you know, I just need to try a little bit harder. That's not the question. Jesus doesn't ask us that. Jesus doesn't say, would you like to try a little harder? He just simply asks the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And our response in that moment is, well, no one was looking. Well, not, not that many people know. Well, it's not that big of a deal. I would say this. God in Christ, the perfect man, the perfect man, comes and asks us a question, finds us in our most vulnerable, broken state. This is God. He looks at you, you, me. And he doesn't come and ask him, how's your day going? He doesn't say, let's negotiate. I've got something for you. You've got something for me. Hey, if you start singing really loud and worshiping really loud, if you start uh, reading your Bible X amount of days in a row, if you start doing this, then I'll heal you. No, he doesn't. He just bypasses all the garbage that we tend to, to set up between us and God. He bypasses. He doesn't even care. He just says, do you want to be healed? Let's get down to business. Do, do, do you really do you want to be whole? Do you, want to, do you want to work on this thing? He bypasses all of the negotiation and simply says, do you want to be healed? Why can he say that? We understand scripturally this. The reason that Jesus could offer healing is that he bore our sins, sickness, and death on the cross. On a cross. He bore it completely, perfectly vulnerable. Uh, Jesus didn't die with a three-piece suit on. He died naked. Vulnerable. All right? he, he, he wasn't selfie on the cross. Right? Never thought I'd say those two words together. Selfie and cross. All right? He died vulnerable, naked, broken, beat, whipped. So God, in Christ, now comes to us already experiencing the worst that humanity could ever muster up. What is worse than humanity crucifying naked a perfect God? What, what could be worse than that? I, I really can't think of it. You know, human suffering, I'll just take one quick note on this, little, little detour. Human suffering is, is terrible. You know, race against race, country against country, it's terrible. It's unjust. It's something we need to work against. It's something that we need to be adamantly opposed to. 
But human injustice, human uh, antagonism of religions and race and pushing down, beating up, killing one another, still, in its most fundamental state, is injustice versus injustice. Broken versus broken. It's people levying powers against one another. But in the cross, it is the ultimate injustice because the other party has done nothing wrong, nor have they recoiled. It's not one party is good, the other party is bad. In the cross, it's the ultimate injustice. Because you have perfection being treated unjustly. There's no recoil. This is the God who's already experienced the worst of humanity. The worst. The, the, the worst possible thing that anyone could muster up. And now that God comes to us and asks us, do you want to be healed? That should free us. Let me tell you why it doesn't. Because as Christians, we tend to put more of our hope in our own righteousness and our self-righteousness than we do in Christ's. Functionally speaking, the way that that outworks is that somebody comes into our church or has been sitting here for a long time. It's got serious things that they know they need to deal with. But yet, they feel that if I share that with a pastor or God, I hope we get to the day as Christians where we can actually just share that with Christians. That would be really nice. Just brothers in Christ. But if I share that, we're so concerned about the recoil that we would rather lay on our bed comfortable, happy, secure than Jesus coming to us and challenging the very thing that we need. I want to encourage you Christian this morning that we are to be God's representatives on this world. That grace is not just a vertical transaction. It's not something that God just comes down and gives us once and then uh, we don't give to anybody else. Scripture says um, freely you've received, now freely give. How many people know here this morning that you can't give something that you've never received? You just can't. I'd love to give you a, a ton of money. I don't have it at all. All right. I'd love to be able to give. I can't give what I haven't received. But if I've received something as a gift, I have the capacity to give that. It concerns me, and um, I'll say it like this in a roundabout way. We, we had an interesting situation. I was talking with... Um, John recently about where we had a little bit of an interaction and this group of people uh, kind of threw, a, threw a, a slant at John. Somebody came against John in a, in a way that was really uncalled for. Just kind of swiped out his feet. It was a lobo. Well, you call yourself a Christian, how could you do that? And it was totally, had nothing to do with Christianity. <laughs> nothing. There is not an ounce of it. Not an ounce of it that was responding to Christianity. I don't know if you've ever seen that. You know, somebody will say that. And I'm not talking about, like, listen, if you're, you know, if your mouth is incredibly immoral and you're doing crazy stuff, then, then you really do probably need to be called to the carpet and figure out, are you reflecting a Christian life? 
But somebody will say something like that, that you call yourself a Christian, how can you do that? And John and I started to laugh together because I said, John, that has less to do with, uh, with the gospel than turning the doorknob to get into my house. That doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. But yet as Christians, and it's sad because it's from a Christian levying against another Christian, is that they'll look and say, well, if you're a Christian, then you're supposed to do this. Almost as if to equate that my particular set of behaviors and the life that I live earns my status before God. That's scary. That's really scary. I don't know if you've ever accused somebody of that. That's really scary, though. I can't believe you're a Christian. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't do this. Okay, listen, if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's sin, it's sin. But what I see is that we tend to sadly bring a whole bunch of things into a gray matter. A whole things that really have nothing pertaining to godliness or ungodliness. And someone will pull that issue in. Typically, it's their pet peeve or their theological pet doctrine. And they'll pull that in and levy that against somebody else as if to say, uh, if you, how can you do this? When really, what they're essentially saying is, I don't do that, therefore I'm a better Christian. I think I need to be a little bit more clear with my analogy because I'm seeing people's eyes gloss over. It's either I'm incredibly boring or I need to explain this more. I'm going to err on the second side for my own um, identity this morning, okay? When we look at situations and we levy this thing of like, you call yourself a Christian. What does that really mean? What does it really mean to be a Christian? Listen, the Bible is very clear that there is sin. And there's things that absolutely are wrong for Christians to partake in. Absolutely wrong. However, it amazes me that as Christians, functionally, practically, the way that we live out our Christian lives is often not in the receiving and dependence upon God's grace, but in the navigating the tightrope of behaviors on a surface level so that people think everything's good. And as long as I walk this particular path, then I'm good. And the faulty, scary part about that is that that has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is not about you being able to say, look, everything's perfect, everything's together, everything is whole. Christianity, in its most fundamental sense, is actually about this. When Jesus comes and says, I want to give you grace and heal you, you say, I receive, Lord. (laughs) I'm not going to trust on my own, and I'm not going to do this. It scares me so much, though, that this is the gospel to us. But yet, as Christians, how often do we not reflect this back? We've received grace. Grace. Free. Perfect. Grace. But yet, we have enough whatever Selfishness, I think, is actually the root of it, but we have enough faith, we'll call it, to believe that God can be graceful to us in our brokenness, but not to somebody else's. As we close this morning, I really pray that you would allow God, by His Spirit this morning, to come and challenge you. 
Don't just pray for the person beside you right now. I know you're tempted. God, I hope you speak to that person about this. Wouldn't that be great? We're just like, Father, thank you so much that you're dealing with their brokenness right now. <laughs> Take up your bed and walk. Okay. I, I, I want to pray, God, that we would be humble enough to deal with our own stuff first. That we would be able to look internally and just say, Lord, I have been clinging to this bed. I've been clinging to my identity that is so rooted in this. And I've been looking for some sort of exterior solution to come in and just throw me in a pool. Right? I'm looking for the one-stop fix. I'm looking for the one day of the one year at the perfect moment to finally deliver me from whatever my junk is. And that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, oh, I'll heal you. I have the power. But it's going to be on my terms, not on yours. We all have to really make that decision. Is that where is our ultimate joy found in? Where is our ultimate security found in? Where is your peace found in? Where is your future found in? Is that something that you can negotiate with? It's it's not that big of a deal. We all make that decision. I'm closing with this thought. Kenny, if you could come. You know, over the past few years here at City Lights, it's amazing to see the amount of people that come in and through the doors. And again, we've got a lot of people on vacation. Um, and we're going to make this announcement that I mentioned next week as well, just because we've got a lot of people gone, um, and we're not going anywhere overnight. It's amazing, though, over the past few years, the amount of people that come through City Lights, and they come in in the most, I felt the lift, or the keyboard. They come in in the most desperate uh, situations. A few months ago, Jesse and I were at Lowe's getting some stuff for the church, and I got a call from a man that said, Jared, are you at the church? And I said to Jesse, after I got off the phone, I said, this man sounds like he's completely drunk. Sounds like he's completely drunk right now. I said, I'll be at the church in 10 minutes. Okay, I need to meet you. Come to the church, sit down with this guy. He's not drunk, he just hadn't slept in five days holding a monster energy drink. Now, people know that's a bad combination. All right. Both the sleeping and the monster drink, and together. That's, that's three strikes. All right, that's all bad. And as I sat with this guy, I, I know him, and I'm trying to help him. And I'm looking at him, and everything in him just said, Jared, give me the pool. Just throw me in the pool and get me better in a moment. Just, just throw me in the pool and get me better. And I looked at him, I said, listen, uh, now I hear your situation that you're going through, but you do, I said, I have to tell you I am a pastor. Jared, I know that, that's why I came to you. Well, so I'm going to speak from a Christian perspective, I'm not just going to listen, okay? I said, um, I honestly don't know if you want to be better from this thing. I, I don't know if you really want to get through this difficulty that you're in. Kind of looked at me. I said, uh, honestly, I think you're just here to, you just need somebody to talk to right now. And the truth is, right now you're like a pressure cooker and you feel the pressure 
But the moment this pressure is going to blow off, you're going to go back and do the next thing. You just, the only reason you're here is because the pressure's built up. And uh, sure enough, we talked for a while. It was good conversation. Left, haven't heard anything since. And if I could recount to you the amount of times in pastoral ministry of someone who gets into a bind and it's so desperate, so bad, that in that moment they would do anything, anything just to have the instantaneous fix. But yet, without fail, every time a person comes with that type of motive, always, and I would love to be proved wrong on this, I pray to God, because it breaks my heart every time I have to do this. They come in, they're here for a week, two weeks, they meet, they leave, you don't see them for six months, a year, two years. I'm not saying this in a condemning way, I'm saying this because this is real. Literally, the situations that we see is that There are people at City Lights that surface here every six to nine months. And I'm not saying that because if you fall away or you're through a hard time, I'm not saying you should be like, oh, I'll never come back. That's not it. But literally, it's the same cycle. Things go bad six months later. Oh, I'm back. Oh, this is the great, you're the best thing in the world, and thank you so much. And then next thing you know, we're gone. Six months later, I can't believe I did this. What it is is the pressure cooker has got to let off a little steam. Listen, the gospel, it's time that we let this thing go deeper than a pressure cooker. It's time that we let this thing press our hearts and not just when we're out of money and we go, okay, I'm out of money, I need God. Or um, I just got really hung over, I need God. Or I just overdosed and I need God. Or I just, listen, all of those may be what bring you to him. Please allow that moment to expose how you need him to heal you, not just how you need him to temporarily relieve you. Please, don't let your marital strife be one of those things where you're like, oh, I really need God, I really need God, and then things kind of calm down because you're away or she's away, and then finally... Okay, everything's better. Please, let let your difficulty expose your need for God, not your ability to just say, "I I need that pool. Just throw me in once. Listen, God cares about you more than he does the pain that you're in right now. He cares about you more than that. And maybe, just maybe, all of this pain that's going on in your life is trying to get your attention so that he can really heal you and not just make you feel better for a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month or two months. Maybe he's really trying to say, hey, I'm really interested in the very depths of who you are. Can we stand together this morning?